Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. For me, my story was I had a whole lot of people externally telling me, you should be a pastor, you should preach. But I didn't have that internal sense of call. Um, I see a lot of guys who are the reverse, who have a very strong internal sense of call and don't feel like they need any type of external confirmation in the context of a local church. And so that's one of the benefits of being in a place for a while is man, you might have fire shut up in your bones. You know what I'm saying? In terms of preaching or leading or whatever, you might have a dream, you might have gifting and you don't always have to wait for somebody else to validate that. But that's one of God's designs for the local church. Like I'm sure there's a whole bunch of listeners right now who are doing some amazing stuff. We're in the social media world right now. Everybody got a podcast, everybody. And I love that. But I also think there's a beauty um, and there's a benefit in being rooted in a local church where other brothers and sisters in Christ, other pastors, elders are able to say, yeah, I see that in you. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Vinoy, here, I was going to say as always, but actually, this is the last time with Josh Hunter as my co-host. Josh, what's going on, man? It's the last time, man. Bittersweet day. I just want to say the light's hitting you perfectly, Chandler. You look more and more like Bradley Cooper every time we... (laughs) Have these, have these, uh, you said I sound like Bradley Cooper. Don't look like him, but now you look like him. The light's just hitting those eyes perfectly, man. There you go. Star is born. Here we go. (laughs) Uh, Chandler Vinoy. No, I'm, I mean, I I think, I think most of, I think we've talked about before, but I'm now at the Austin Stone Community Church as a executive pastor for their South Congregation and been here since August. And, uh, you know, Franklin D. Roosevelt, he said, um, when speaking or addressing or talking through things, he said, be sincere be precise and then be seated. So I'll, so I'll put it this way. The, the Lord is filling my calendar with many pastoral things and uh, have a little bit less time as uh, my, my personal life fills up and, and my professional life fills up. And uh, it's time to, to hand the reins over um, really completely to Chandler as he figures out what's next for Unseen. But I really enjoyed my time on the podcast and being a part of creating it and awesome conversations. And uh, thanks to the listeners. Thanks to you guys for keeping the podcast going and and learning from it. And I hope that you enjoy uh, the, the the next guests and the next hosts that are going to be a part of uh, Unseen Leadership Podcast and it continues to challenge you to grow. So we'll miss you guys. But Chandler, thanks for letting me be a part of it, my man. <laughs> Absolutely, man. It's been a pleasure to have you as a co-host, uh, to learn alongside you, have you as a friend. So uh, we look forward to seeing how the Lord's going to continue to use you down in Austin. But man, let's go ahead and hop in here. Who's, who's joining us on the podcast today? And I'm super excited. I'm super excited who's with us today. His name is Mike Kelsey. Uh, He is the lead pastor of preaching and culture at McLean Bible Church in the Washington, D.C. area. Mike, glad to have you on today, man. How you been? I've been good, man. Uh, I'm sorry to break break in on your bromance there, uh, (laughs) but thanks for having me on. Yeah, he's like, man, what an episode to be a guest on. (laughs) You're part of my bromance too, Mike. You know, I stalked you for a while before I booked you for Student Life Camp, so, you know, I kind of knew you were, but um, so happy to have you on today, man. How's, How's everything there? Like, you guys hanging in there? How's church life? How's family? It, everything's been good, man. We just got some snow uh, over this this last uh, two weekends, man. So we've been having fun with the snow and uh, trying to manage that at, um, in terms of the church. But uh, everything's been good at the church, man. We've been in a season of, uh, well, I guess like everybody, of just trying to figure it out. 
yeah. in the middle of a pandemic. And then for us as a church, uh, there's been like leadership transition and transitioning to some new vision stuff. So it's just been all of that. What a, what a great time to, to launch new vision in the oh, middle really? of a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. That was a genius idea uh, for sure. But uh, yeah, man, we're figuring out. Well, yeah. even on top of the pandemic, even before we hit record, you were talking about uh, your all's one of you, the other lead pastors, David Platt, gave you a call on Saturday that he was not going to be able to preach on Sunday. So yeah. you had to turn around a sermon within a day. Is that right? Yeah, man, it was great. I, I told you guys, <laughs> my dad is a pastor and he used to always tell his ministers, you, you better always have one in the oven. You know <laughs> what I mean? And so, uh, so thankfully I had one in the oven and I, I jumped in. There you go, man. Pandemic just always throwing uncertainty our way. And for you, you've definitely lived it with that. Well, man, we're excited to have you on. And just as I know, I've gotten to know your story a little bit. And I would love for you to just walk us through and for the listeners to hear uh, an overview of the different leadership roles you've been in over the years to lead you to where you are now as the lead pastor of preaching and culture at McLean. Yeah, man. Uh, so my my dad is a pastor, been a pastor my whole life, the pastor uh, of the church he's currently serving in D.C. Uh, for the last 28 years. Uh, so he's pastors in the same ward of, of D.C., uh, Northeast D.C., War 5 that he grew up in. And uh, so I kind of grew up around leadership, uh, grew up uh, in the church. My, I got two younger brothers and they joke um, that I have older brother syndrome. So they, to this day, they still talk about it. Like if we went to an amusement park, we went somewhere, they would say I, I always had to walk ahead of the group. I don't know if that's a thing, uh, but apparently it is a thing. So I think part of it was just the family that I, that I grew up in and being an older brother. But the first time I realized um, that I was a leader was in high school. Um, so I ran for vice president of the Black Student Association, which you can feel free to ask me questions about. But uh, <laughs> here's the thing. I did my, so everybody did their like campaign speech. They, they walked up to the podium and did their campaign speech. And I walked up with a chair and sat down to do my, it was so corny. And I said, uh, everybody else stood up. And so I'm saying it should probably should be the opposite. Like it would have worked better if everybody else was sitting down and I was like, but I'm the one that's going to stand up for what's right. <laughs> I didn't have enough sense. So I was just like, I'm going to sit down because everybody else stood up. And uh, but I won. And so I became vice president of a black student association. And so I had done leadership stuff prior to that. You know, growing up as a pastor's kid, you always end up in some leadership stuff. But that was the first time I felt like, especially outside the shadow of my dad, mm -hmm. that it was like publicly affirmed that I had these leadership skills and gifts. And so, uh, so ever since then, man, I've just been in different leadership roles in college. When I started following Jesus, started an organization there. I was a part of a fraternity and, uh, and, you know, just kind of led into to ministry stuff that I'm doing now. So you, you grew up as a pastor's kid. And then I know that you were, you've been in McLean. How many years have you been in McLean now? 14 years. Yeah. 14 oh, wow. years. Yeah. It's okay. Been a so, you know, I, we've talked to a few different pastor's kids on here and there's kind of that, you know, either you kind of run away from it or you feel like, Hey, I'm going to follow in my dad's shoes. what did that look like for you? And then how did you end up at McLean? Yeah, I definitely ran away from it. I mean, first of all, I wasn't following Jesus. So um, I was like, a, a thought religion was enough to make me acceptable to God and uh, got to college and all the scaffolding was gone. And, and my heart, you know, my, I just did whatever my heart wanted to do. And so that was the, the partying and girls and the whole nine. 
And uh, God was really gracious, man, to use some upperclassmen guys uh, to pull me under their wing. And uh, super long story short, man, I, I started seriously following Jesus and just made a 180, like walked mm-hmm. away from that life. But I still never thought I was going to be a pastor at all. Um, yeah. I had no desire to be uh, literally like my dream job was I wanted to be a party promoter. Then I wanted to own a club in DC and there's a, a club, owner, a legendary club owner in DC named Mark Barnes that I always wanted to be like. And then I wanted to use that club to start an entertainment company and I wanted to be Diddy. That's, that's like, who, <laughs> that's who I wanted to be. I, that's not who I wanted to be. That's who I actually saw myself as wow. the world had not recognized it yet. Yeah. Um, and so when I started following Jesus, I just thought I was going to do the Christian version of that. And, mm. uh, so, um, it was funny, man, because, um, uh, one of, I had two classes in college. I'm a rhetoric and political culture major, and I was taking a speech writing class and a philosophy or religion class one semester and killing it in both. And I'm not an academic dude. Um, And God just began to show me, you have a passion for communication and you have a passion for truth. And that's for a reason. So a lot of people around me have begun to tell me, hey, you should consider being a pastor, not just because it's what my dad did. I heard that my whole life, but they started to see me or God using me in ministry um, and, but I needed that inward confirmation from the Lord that this is what he wanted me to do. So even after I was following Jesus, even after I wanted to reach people with the gospel, I did not want to just become a pastor because that's what my dad did. You know what I mean? I yeah. took it way too seriously and saw way too much of the drama that comes along with it. So God just really made it clear at a certain point. And, uh, man, I couldn't keep resisting. Hmm. I love that. Well, Mike, concerning the Christian DJ, it's still not too late. I just want to say The only thing about Diddy, man, he can't rap. You know what I mean? Like, but I personally can. My wife doesn't think I can, but I got bars though. So you got bars. There we go. Yeah, so you got bars, bars right? Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll hear some. I'm just saying. Uh, that's just that's that's between me and the Lord. Okay, so tell us about maybe a pivotal moment in your leadership journey that that, that sticks out to you. Uh, that really defined your leadership, that this could be like Mm -hmm. a a hard moment or a really fun moment, just anything that helped define your leadership or maybe life in that particular moment. Man. Oh my gosh. There, there, um, yeah, well, so all right, two, one is quick and then, but then another one is a little bit of story. So one of them is, um, when, when I started sensing that God was calling me into some form of ministry, I didn't think that was going to be in the church or pastoring, but I knew well, my, at the church I grew up in, we had this program called like ministers in training. And I'll never forget, uh, one of the elders that led that share with us what he called the submarine principle. I don't know where he got it from, but, but basically he would, he, the way he explained it was that like in a submarine, the internal pressure, you know, has to exceed the external pressure. Um, otherwise the submarine just explodes or it gets crushed or whatever. I don't know. But his, <laughs> his whole point was about your, your character versus kind of your public ministry. And, uh, and so that your, your, your character, the inner life has to be stronger than your external responsibilities or reputation or else you'll get crushed. Hmm. And that was, that was a major moment for me, man, because I think I realized I was wrestling with some stuff in my life at that point. And I think I realized, I remember vividly praying, God, I don't, I don't want the lights, man. I, I don't, 
because I don't think I can handle it. You know what I mean? Like I was still battling some stuff in my own life privately, knowing that God wanted me to get some of that stuff straight. And I just knew I didn't have the character to withstand. Um, so that was a big moment that kind of shaped, uh, honestly, it's, it's a lot of what y'all are doing right now in terms of this unseen leadership thing that that was like, that set me on a course of trying to make sure like my character, my heart, my integrity is on point. Good. Um, yeah, man. I, I think another one for me though, was, uh, just how I got into leadership. So there was a guy named Alan Hotchkiss. I used to work for the Luis Palau association. So Luis Palau is like a, a big evangelist and Alan was my boss's boss. And, uh, he was supposed to do the training for, we used to do this training for people, um, who were, uh, helping the council folks that came to Jesus. We used to do these big evangelistic campaigns and Alan was supposed to come in town in DC and do the training here at McLean Bible church. This before I was connected to McLean Bible at all. Hmm. And long, long story short, something came up with Alan and he was like, Hey Mike, you got to do it. And I was like 23 or something at the time. And he was like, you got to go to this big mega church. And for me, I'm a black dude from like all black everything. So growing in a black church, all that McLean was like the big white at the time, you know, I, it was just not my world. And he's like, nah, you go. I want you to train all the pastors. Wow. And uh, so I go, man, and I do it. And there was a guy sitting in the back named Rich Hurst. Um, and, uh, and, and he had, um, heard about me from another guy uh, that you guys know, Todd Atkins, who's there <laughs> at Lifeway. Yep. Um, and the two of them, man, just saw something in me and invited me to uh, uh, speak at a conference. They gave me keynote. It was trash. I hope there's no <laughs> recordings of it. Um, they invited me to come to McLean Bible church and preach. And, uh, and then the rest is history. You know, I just ended up several wow. years later coming here. So that was big for me because, Man, those dudes just saw something in me, honestly, that I didn't even see in myself. And I want to live that out now. Like, I love seeing leaders who are young and don't know what they're doing like I was. And I still don't know what I'm doing, but giving them a shot. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Giving them a shot, giving them a, a sandbox to play in because God wants to do some big things through them. Yeah, man, that's that's really good. So maybe a little bit of a left turn, more speeding up to now. What has, what has, uh, and I don't even want to say what 2020, but really your entire ministry career, but I'll, but I'll just say 2020 to put in context and all of the social justice movements that have been going on. So as a black man in a mostly white evangelical church, I'm assuming McLean is still mostly white. Um, what is that, been, what has that been like for you as a leader in, in the, in your reality and your, um, personal context of like race and church and that intersecting, how has that been for you? And also in the particular uh, area of the country that you're in serving as well, how has that been? Yeah, it's wild out here, man. In, in DC. <laughs> it, uh, man, it's been, it's been sweet and it's been, it's been difficult. Um, mm -hmm. so McLean is a very different church now than it was when I came 14 years ago. Even when I came 14 years ago, it was, some, it was beginning to be, or, or uh, had already begun to be somewhat diverse. Now it's just a way more uh, diverse church, multiple locations awesome. and all that. Uh, but uh, it's still been tough, man. And the way I describe it to, to young leaders who come into um, a space like this is um, you come in trying to find your place, you know, um, and, and just where do I fit in here? I don't, it's, it's a little bit foreign to me. Like I always joke and say, I didn't grow up watching Seinfeld, but when I came to McLean, everybody was making Seinfeld jokes. And I was like, oh, and I didn't know. Like, I got to know the lines. And then I realized, oh, Seinfeld is white people's Martin. Like that's what, that's yes. what, 
And I was yeah. like, oh, we have common. I, I get it now. Yep. So I came in. It's just like, you know, superficial, dumb stuff like that. Just trying to find your place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there came a point where I feel like that shifted to, to, to then trying to find my voice and saying that, I, God, I know you have me here for a reason. Uh, and there's a responsibility and a stewardship that comes with that uh, position, with with that platform, with that influence. Um, and so I began to try to find my voice. And that can be difficult, man, because sometimes people aren't quite ready to hear your experiences or your perspective or quite frankly, how the Bible applies to uh, certain social issues when it comes to race and justice. And so it's been a mixed bag. There's been so much that has been encouraging and rich. And I think our church, not just because of me, but because of our leadership at the church and so many other people in our church, man, God has us in just such a different place now. And it's really exciting to see kind of where God has us and where we're going and there also have been some really difficult moments, man, where people disappoint you, yeah. you know yeah, what I'm yeah. saying? And people misread you or uh, whatever. So it's been a mixed bag. I'm sorry. Mm. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah. Mike, when you're even sharing your story of kind of how you got to McLean and what I love about that is a lot of times young leaders now are like, how can I get in front of those people and then share with them why I deserve a spot? And instead it was like, man, you just went to a random training showed up and somebody else called it out of you. And just hearing that, like even for me and probably for listeners, it's like, that's such a great reminder that like the Lord is going to use others to bring those gifts out. Don't try to push yourself forward to where, and even you're talking about the submarine. There's a reason probably that God's like, I need you to hold up because the inside pressure could not handle the outside. So man, just to really appreciate you, you sharing that. But even as you're looking, so you've been at McLean for 14 years and I know recently you you stepped into a new role, which is lead pastor of teaching or of preaching and culture. And you've, you've been kind of in a, a lot of different roles. You've seen the history of the church. And when I hear that, it's like, man, you've been at the same place for 14 years. That goes against so much of what our culture says of like, you need to go and find what's next. It's a stepping stone. You need to jump to the next big thing, the next big thing. What, what would you give advice to somebody who's sitting there and is like, I'm looking for that next big thing. Instead, you're like, hey, plant yourself where you are. There's beauty in that. What have you learned along the way? Yeah, man. Every every time I go places and they ask me that question, how long you been? It's like, I I just say it and I'm like, wait for it. And I just look, <laughs> I just look for, for at yeah. their response, man, because it's not common. And it's not for everybody. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. no shade to anybody who, uh, you know, is here for three years, goes there for five years. Yeah. It's just been yeah. my path. But what I would say is what I've learned is, so so two things. One is, um, to the point uh, you just made, Chandler, about um, uh, uh, just about about being in a place for, for a, a, a certain amount of time and starting to try to figure out like what is God calling you to do? For me, my story was I had a whole lot of ec- people externally telling me, you should be a pastor, you should preach. But I didn't have that internal sense of call. Um, I see a lot of guys who are the reverse, who have a very strong internal sense of call and don't feel like they need any type of external confirmation in the context of a local church. And Mm. so that's one of the benefits of being in a place for a while is, man, you might have fire shut up in your bones. You know what I'm saying? In terms of preaching or leading or whatever, you might have a dream, you might have gifting. And you don't always have to wait for somebody else to validate that. But that's one of God's designs for the local church. Like I'm sure it's a whole bunch of listeners right now who are doing some amazing stuff. We're in the social media world right now. Everybody got a podcast, everybody. And I love that. 
But I also think there's a beauty um, and there's a benefit in being rooted in a local church where other brothers and sisters in Christ, other pastors, elders are able to say, yeah, I see that in you. And so sometimes that only comes over time. But the other benefit on the back end of that, man, is uh, there's just a level of influence you get to enjoy when you become a little bit of an OG. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not like old uh, because I, I look at our church and we got people been at our church for 30 years. So, I mean, I'm still a little boy to them. Uh, but being there for 14 years, you know, we've walked through some stuff. You've seen my life, you know what I mean? You've seen my growth and my development. And there's just a level of influence and authority that you just can't get in a year and a half, you know? So that I, I'm in a season where I'm enjoying the trust you know what mm -hmm. I mean? There's an equity that grows over time as you put in work and, uh, and it's a sweet season. Man. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I'm going to ask one more thing. We'll get to the next question, but I know you just, I think it was over the summer, uh, last year, you guys stepped into a new leadership structure at McLean and is it, how many lead pastors is it now? Three, three. So you guys are, you know, six to seven months into that. What are some of the things that you've learned as stepping into a lead pastor position, but also one that is a little bit different than others where you can look across the table and there's two others? Well, stepping into a lead pa pastor position, number one is, 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 I had a lot of opinions uh, before I stepped into this role. <laughs> and you step into this role, man, and you see all the behind the scenes stuff, all the pressures, all, all, the, all the emails, all the, and so there's a level of respect, honestly, for the position um, that you should have period, you know, but you, yeah. you have it to another degree, man, when you're actually sitting in that seat um, in terms of uh, the three of us uh, doing this together. And we still don't know, like our staff is still trying to figure out what to call us. Um, there's some people who have resorted to calling us the triune leader, which I don't like. I'm pretty <laughs> sure there's a theological problem with that. Uh, the big three is another one. I like that a little bit more because uh, I'm a there basketball fan. But uh, man, trust is huge. And the three of us, so myself, David Platt, Wade Burdett, like we, we, we've, we've grown, man. We had a lot of conversations um, and it was something that God just did. And so there's a lot of trust between us. Um, and, and we have a lot of open, honest conversations about that. But the beauty, man, is that we're all wired differently. We have a lot of overlap in terms of our convictions, but we're wired differently. You know what I mean? So David is like, David is a monster. Like the dude can <laughs> preach like crazy and he can pump out content like nobody I've ever seen in my life. He is a, he's a beast. Wade is a beast. You know what I mean? When it comes to strategy and organizational leadership and, and all of that. Um, and I'm just there, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I'm there just to kind of bring who I am and my perspectives and experiences. And so I love team leadership, man. I love team leadership. Uh, I love having some some folks, man, that that fill in my gaps and I can help fill in their gaps and we sharpen each other. So it's been a sweet ride, man. All in a pandemic, bro. Yeah. All, all over Zoom. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, so we'll see, man, what, what it's like uh, once we get out of this, but it's been sweet. Well, I, yeah. think it's, I think it's so interesting that, you know, the stance that you would take, David's a beast. I think Wade, is that the other name? Yeah, yeah. Wade, Wade is a beast, but you're really gifted too. And I think like, you know, the areas that you're gifted. And I think God has made you self-aware enough to realize, okay, he's gifted me here, here, my kingly, my priestly, my prophet, like where, where are the areas that he's mm -hmm. gifted me in? Right. But if you take the stance of, Hey, I'm just here to try to 
add a piece to this. That's like a good humble stance to take for a young leader coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you're with David Platt, man. I mean, that's a, that's a, <laughs> that's gotta be have its challenges. You know you what I mean? You think you can preach until you're up, <laughs> until you're up this Sunday after David. <laughs> I'll say this, I did, I did, I would go visit camp where David was at and we would do, we do CrossFit while we were there. And I thought I could work out until I met David Platt too. Right. So it's not even fair, bro. That's not fair. dude. Like I wanted, I wanted him to just be like a real <laughs> dork you know what i'm saying like I, but i'm like i really i can't i can't see you in the gym either i you know what i mean i can't see you with the bible open i can't see you press it's not even fair it's so oh, that's so good well let's go back uh to the earlier days of leadership for you what would you say was your biggest mistake getting started uh i'm honest and this is gonna sound well i'll just say I, I didn't make a lot of big leadership mistakes it, like in my early days, but honestly, I think that was my biggest mistake. Mm-hmm. And I've thought about this a lot. Like, I feel like I played it very safe. And some of that mm-hmm. was because, like I said, I was coming into, it was a very foreign environment for me. I was getting to know the culture and like, I, you know, where the lines are and all that. But when I look back, man, I wish that coming in, I had more, not confidence in myself, really confidence in the Lord bringing me to, to this church and what he wanted to do through me, because I don't think I took enough risks, you know, and I had Mm -hmm. leaders pushing me to do that. I think I was a little insecure, a little nervous. So man, I would just say, you know, I'm not trying to get young leaders to get out there and just wow out, just go crazy. But, um, but I do think, man, you are where you are for a reason and under authority, uh, man, I think take some risks, you know what I'm saying? Take some big swings, go for it. Um, for good reasons, not for a selfish ambition, man, but to, to really, uh, make the glory of God known and to, and to bring blessing to other people. So I wish I had taken some more risk. And that's one of my biggest regrets is that I just played it a little too safe. Hmm. That's really interesting. When you said that, uh, Facebook's like motto, when they first were, uh, kind of starting up, it was to move fast and break stuff. Mm. Like they just wanted to move so fast. They're like, Hey, we don't care if we break stuff. We're just trying to build this. And you know, I think there's a good medium, like a a median there where it's like, we don't, we shouldn't just, that shouldn't be the motto of our ministry. (laughs) I mean, especially, but there is hearing you say that even I think risk it's, and I'm not saying this is for you. I know this is true for me. Like, I'm just, I think there's part of me where I just don't trust God in that, Mm -hmm. where I'm like, I don't want to take that risk because I look good right now. And if I were to take that risk and I were to fall flat on my face, like what would people think? hundred percent. Yeah. So I'm even convicted by what you just said. It's like, man, we should take risks for the gospel, calculated risks. We shouldn't be stupid with it, but that's, that's a good word. Yeah. Yeah. I've talked a lot about with some staff recently, just the theological view of failure. Like what, what is failure? Mm. What does failure actually mean theologically? Yeah. Um, And I think a lot of us, including myself, I fall into it, like failure equals sin, right? But a lot of times failure actually equals grace. And failure, in some sense, in some ways, are like guardrails to keep us from going way off the cliff, you know, keep us from driving way off the cliff. Little bumps, a little bit of pain, a little bit of jolted to, so you can wake up and get back on the road. But just kind of adjusting our theological view and 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 our, our Jesus view of failure and what that means to us and how he's teaching us through failure. But we get so obsessed with overthinking it and we're going to mitigate failure at all costs. 
Yeah. And Christ, and Christ is like, mm, good luck. <laughs> well, and we see it. I think we see it in the Bible. You look at Acts 16 and you see a healthy God honoring ambition in the apostle Paul. Mm. He tries to get into Asia. The spirit won't let him. And we don't know what that means. Did circumstance fall apart? Did we, uh, we don't know. He tried to, he tried to get in Bithynia. The spirit didn't let him, you know, he, he ends up, you know, uh, going over to Macedonia, but he had this healthy God glorifying ambition, man, to make Christ known. Uh, and he wasn't afraid, you know what I mean? To be like, all right, I'm gonna go here because those people need the gospel. So I would just say to young leaders, you know, there's, there's some personality types. What, what they need to hear right now is you need to be under some godly authority. You know what I mean? And you need, yeah. you, you just need to sit down for a minute. Uh, and then there's <laughs> other people that need to hear, like, get over yourself, you know, mm. and, and trust God and trust that God's spirit in you, that he has you where you are for a reason. And maybe your senior pastor or maybe that person in your organization needs to hear your idea or, or yep. needs you to kind of lead out and stretch them, you know, a bit. And I, I just wish I had done that a little bit more. Yeah. And it's like, even your idea might not be, captured well or carried out or even agreed upon with, but your obedience to follow through with that courage and just give the idea that carries enough blessing in and of itself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, well, good word. All right. Jump into the next one, Mike. Mike, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting to lead? Oh man, that is a good question. Um, what book do I wish somebody gave me when I was just starting to lead? You know what? So this book didn't exist. Uh, and I'm sure you guys have heard of it. Actually, I think you had him on the podcast at some point, maybe. But John Mark Comer's book, uh, mm-hmm. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, is a book that I read at the end of 2019. And uh, it's a game changer. And I don't, I, you know, I can only speak from my context here, being in the D.C. area. It is 500 miles an hour. Yeah. And that's a virtue. And, uh, and I wish... Um, Man, I, w- I wish somebody had handed me that book or or showed me that slow can be virtuous. You know what I mean? When it comes to my relationship with God, when it comes to being more self-aware, um, when it comes to just in- enjoying communion and intimacy with God, being present with other people, I wish somebody had challenged me with that and kind of given me what she has in the book. And a lot of people are talking about it now a framework a little bit, you know what I mean? For, for yeah. what it looks like to, to live that way. Cause you can just say it, but it's, it's really hard to kind of figure out what that looks like on your own, especially if you're in an environment, man, where everybody's running and hustling. Um, and so that, that book has been really kind of monumental for me um, and just my own growth. Yeah. You were saying it's easy to read it and it's another thing to act on it. And I think there's so many times I read, you know, that book or different, different books as well about kind of like rhythms of life and rest. And it's so easy to read it like, man, that's good. And then close it and just do nothing with it. Um, and And they talk about the rule of life. We've talked about the rule of life on here before, but one thing that I know that you do is with social media is even you, you somewhat, I mean, you take a rest from that and disengage. And I think in our world, I mean, of course, you know, I've, Todd has lived in DC and he told me, he's like, man, it's, you want to talk about pace of life. I mean, up there, it speeds up, but even in our culture, I just think with how fast news travels, how quickly opinions can be swayed or even what we read is so fast on social media. I would love for you to kind of share kind of what your rhythm is on social 
and then what you've learned from it and why you, you would share, Hey, you should do this in your life as well. Yeah. So my rhythm on social is, uh, I take off social media uh, one day a week, one week a month, one month a year. And so I just came off my one month in January. And, uh, the reason I started doing it, man, was because <laughs> I just felt like a drug addict. You know what I mean? I felt like I was constantly compulsively checking social media and, um, and, and you start seeing those symptoms and signs in your life, you know, where people, your wife or your roommate or whoever, your child is like, can you get off your phone? And you hear yeah. it all the time. And so I just knew that I needed, I needed a rhythm. I needed some boundaries, you know, around that. So I kind of fell into that, just a rhythm I fell into over time and it, it works for me. And, and I've even been realizing lately, uh, that I, I got to have a rhythm for my, for every day. You know what I mean? Like I need to manage that even during the day. I think one of the things I learned, I just, I just posted this, I think this week was, um, don't let social media set the algorithm of your thoughts. And, mm. uh, that's one of the biggest things I learned in taking, taking those intentional breaks is you don't realize how much your feed is actually controlling like the feed in your mind. Yeah. You know, you're thinking about likes or retweets or whatever, or you're thinking about, you're trying to turn every moment or every thought into a post or you're feeling like you're, you got to stay up on what everybody, what everybody's doing or what everybody's saying or, and, uh, and so when you take, or when I've taken those breaks, I think I'm, re I, I realize in a fresh way, like, Oh snap. Like <laughs> I like just kind of not being in like inception. You know what I'm saying? Like I like mm -hmm. just being able to think my own thoughts and be aware of what's going on in my own mind to sort through it all. So that has been one of the biggest things for me, man, is uh, like I'd say like thinking on purpose, you know, as opposed to just thinking reactively based on whatever the Instagram algorithm decides to feed me that day. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's helpful. I, I had, so I, I followed the, or sorry, I was trying to create a, a framework to follow your framework of, social media fasting. I think it's one day a week, one week a month and one month a year, right? Yep. That's what you do. And you, you turn it off. So I started doing that. It had it all on my calendar to repeat daily, you know, weekly, monthly, and then yearly. And then I liked it so much. I deactivated everything. So Did I, I notice that? I saw that. I just shut it all down. Um, but I find myself really missing it. And even thinking of this, like my final episode, I'm sure Chandler's going to post something. Maybe I should just activate it to repost it. So people, I'm like, why? To what of to what avail is that going to help my current ministry and my current mental health and emotional mm -hmm. health? Mm -hmm. One is just going to make me sad. Two, I'm going to look at more puppy pictures on Instagram because that's all my feed is is like dogs because I love dogs, and then I'll get addicted again. And it's it's just insane. It's the whole point. I don't really know where I'm going with this, but the whole point is that social media can be helpful, but overall it, it has a diminishing return. That's my opinion. Because once I started fasting from it, like you did, I just said, man, I don't, I don't need this. This is, it's unhelpful. I've learned a lot of good stuff from it, but overall unhelpful for my growth. So I, I think that, that, I think that why question is it, Josh, like when, when you're saying you miss it, I think a lot of people just don't ask, really ask themselves why though. When you really like explore that, you start seeing some unhealthy stuff and you start realizing like, I, it's not something that I necessarily need. So I do think it can be helpful. I do think, you know, people live online right now and all of that, man. But I just think social media is something that we need to, we just got to examine and evaluate. 
Yeah, I totally agree, man. All right, next question. What was your biggest misconception as a leader? So young Mike Kelsey, his view of leadership, what was it that you were just kind of completely missing as a young leader? I think my biggest misconception is that or, or as a young leader was that politics don't matter. And what I mean is I'm not talking about like national politics. Yeah. I'm talking about in your organization, in your church, like politics is a real thing. And, yeah. uh, and the purest side of me, like I hate, pol- honestly, I just like to keep it real and just open and this is who I am and let's just put it all out there. Um, but, uh, but that's just not how the, unfortunately, the real world, world operates all the time. And, the, and to some degree, there's sometimes wisdom, you know what I mean? Like, so if you come into yeah. a leadership role, uh, you could call this politics or wisdom to say, well, these are some of the influential people that have been here for a while that I need to get to know. I yeah. need to build some trust with them. Like when I was a younger leader, that felt like politics to me. You see what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, and yeah. to some degree it is. So I think it's hard sometimes to discern what's a good, healthy politics. It's just wisdom versus, yo, I'm not here for these games. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was one of my biggest misconceptions was that I could just lead and be effective and not in any way, you know, get pulled into or have to deal with kind of the politics in my environment. Yeah, it's it's like... uh Leadership is an art, not a science, right? I mean, there's some things in leadership where one plus one equals two, but I think it was Craig Rochelle that said, you don't have to say everything that's true. Just make sure everything you say is true. Mm. And just thinking through that as a leader, like we want to lead through transparency and vulnerability, but I'm not going to stand on stage and say every single <laughs> true fact about my life. It might be unhelpful rather than helpful. So leading to the next question, when like as a young leader and that misconception that you had, did that ever come back to like bite you? Did you ever lead out with too much transparency, too much vulnerability or not have enough political wisdom to where you feel like it got you on the back end of it? Yeah. A thousand percent. A thousand. <laughs> I can, like right now I'm having an out of body experience and I'm like, I can see my wife trying to answer this question for me. Um, <laughs> I love it. Yes. Yeah. No, I definitely, I mean, the quote you just said from Craig Rochelle, like in my younger leader days, I'd have been like, see, that's why these shady leaders, you know what I mean? No, that's, that's wisdom. And I've had to learn that. It, you know what I mean? Uh, it's not always wise to just be an open book. That's not always helpful. Not, it's not always helpful to other people and it's not always helpful to you. And it's certainly not always helpful to your family. You know what I mean? If you, if you're married or you have kids or something like that. So, uh, so yeah, it definitely got me, man. It got me a couple of times where I just got up on stage in a sermon and used my family as an illustration without checking with my wife first, which I should have known better because I grew up as a pastor's kid, you know, and I was <laughs> go to illustration, yeah. uh, me and all my wayward years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so my wife, you know, there were times where she just wasn't ready, you know, to, to, mm-hmm. for that information about her uh, or that struggle that, that she's wrestling with to be out. And there's been times too, where I just, I kept it real about real hot, sensitive, explosive issues and, and there was a more wise way, you know, to, to yep. get other leaders on board first, um, to get feedback about how to say it or the timing of it. Uh, so, yeah, man, I, I definitely it has come back to bite me, you know, sometimes and I'm still growing in that. I would rather err, honestly, on the side of uh, authenticity. Um, I, I'd rather have people try to rein me in in that 
then err on the side of trying to manage and PR everything and all that. But you do, as you grow in maturity and wisdom and leadership, you do start to figure, like Craig Groeschel's, he, the reason he can get it in a soundbite is because he's learned it over years. You know what I mean? And there's just wisdom that grows in that. Good. Yeah, it takes time. Well, let's move to the quick hitter questions here. And these are going to be short one minute answers. And we'll get started with this one, Mike. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, all that good stuff? Yeah, man. I mean, I, ideally, uh, I'd be up at like 530. Since I never <laughs> am, then, uh, then I, usually I'm up by six. Um, and the reason I say ideally 530 is because I think that that time for me, first thing in the morning, obviously communion with God. But one of the things I'm finding, especially with young kids, is that the communion with God part is necessary, but there's also just like clarity, personal clarity I, I is very helpful for me getting into the day. So emotional clarity, like processing how I'm feeling and why, mental clarity, thinking through my thoughts and ideas. So I'm usually up by six, but I'm finding I, I kind of need, as, as you know, I have young kids now, I got, I got to be up earlier. Um, so I do kind of routine with the kids and all that type of stuff. We got three different kids in three different schools. Terror. It's just a terrible. Life. It's bad, bad, bad parenting on my part. Um, but we're figuring all that out. And so we do, we split up and do drop off and all that. Um, and right now in the pandemic, I'm, I'm either coming in the office and I'm usually here by myself or, or getting back home, uh, in the home office and trying to get into stuff by about eight fifteen, eight thirty or so. And, uh, and normally I'm trying to keep the mornings free. Uh, for like writing sermons or just kind of big project stuff. That's just kind of deep work. Like yeah. I just need to focus kind of time. And then the afternoons are usually full of meetings, staff meetings. Uh, I'm like I said, I'm a pastor. So, you know, pastoral counseling meetings, stuff like that. Uh, I try to be home between 530 and six and uh, which was a really tough adjustment, you know, for me, especially in the DC area, everybody works like 10, 12 hour days. And so being home at 536 was a very difficult adjustment. And to be honest with you, it's something my wife was begging for and I was not doing it. Um, uh, even when I said I would be, you know, I would stay in the office a little bit longer. And so that was just, that was just a challenge. And I think as I realized, you know, my family is my first ministry. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to be home uh, in that way. And uh, do dinner and help with the kids and all that type of stuff. And then honestly, right now, most nights, some nights there's meetings or, or work to do, man. But most nights, y'all, I'm just trying to chill with my wife. You know what I'm saying? We just trying to just chill and watch a show or I, I make her watch, you know, NBA playoffs with me or something like that. And, uh, and we hang out. So that's kind of what the average day looks like for me. What's the, what's the NBA team? Oh, man, that, that's tough, man. I'm, I'm here in the D.C. area. So Wizards is... I can't say I'm a fan, but I'm a, I'm a loyalist. Let's put it that way. I'm always going to root for the home team. Um, so I haven't really had a team, like a team team, um, since like the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls. You know what I mean? Uh, come, on over, come on over to the Memphis Grizzlies, baby. Nah, like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so, bro. I don't think so, man. All right. What's your favorite personality test? I've done all of them. Never really leaned in heavy. I, I would say my, my favorite one right now is Enneagram. Uh, it's just been, uh, really help, help me understand kind of my motivations and patterns and all that stuff. What's your, what's your type with the Enneagram? I'm a nine wing one. Nine wing one. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. What's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? Man, you know, I've listened to this podcast and should be prepared for this. And I'm like, I don't, what unusual <laughs> habit do I have, man? I don't, that is a tough one. Um, Man, I don't know that I have like an unusual habit. 
That's fair. <laughs> it's so good. It is a hard question. It's it is a, a hard question. good question, though. There's yeah. some gold. Y'all have gotten some gold out of that question. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm trying to remember the funniest one. Um, oh, man, I can't. There was, a, there was someone who was just like, uh, I think it was Bob Russell. He's like, I just take a nap. <laughs> I was like, I love that. Uh, I'm down for that. I need to go back through and listen to those. That that would be a fun to compile some sound bites of that question. The unusual or, habits. Oh gosh, should be some funny ones on there. Be good. Okay, uh, what's your favorite app on your phone, Mike? Hands down, uh, Libby. Have, do y'all know what Libby is? Oh, 100%, man. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I, I just got put on, like a, a friend told me about it. She says she's been telling me about this for a long time. I think I tuned her out because she said public library. Um, but uh, I just downloaded it. I might have been like in January or December. And Libby is a game. If you don't have Libby, get Libby. It is a game changer. I'm right there with you, Mike. I, I've been you get free audiobooks, free ebooks. Yeah, it's awesome. You can download them straight to your Kindle. Like it's, yeah. it's crazy. I don't have it. I'm getting it right now. Need to check it out. What's been the best book that you, maybe you've read on Libby in the past six months? Past six months, definitely Deep Work. Mm. Yeah. You, could, you could hear it in your answer yeah. on the first one. Yeah. Did you? Did you? Once you read that, did you change your schedule a little bit? I did. And even what I just said in terms of my schedule, keeping the mornings uh, clear. Uh, also, you know, there's some preachers, famous preachers like Martin Lord Jones, other preachers who talk about that a lot, keeping your mornings clear for sermon writing. Yeah. But even in terms of big projects and just focused work, like that idea of setting that time to dive deep and concentrate uh, and, and be able to produce was, was major. So I haven't adopted, like they, they give a couple different rhythms in that. Um, and I haven't just taken the, that rhythm, but a lot of the principles I've taken. Yeah. All right. Last question, Mike, what one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the very first time? Man. Uh, yeah, I would say, I was going to say this might be counterintuitive, but um, it may not be for some. The way I would put it, I would, I would say communion with God is your superpower. Mm -hmm. And I, I think a lot, a lot of young, if, 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 if there are young leaders that are Christians that are listening to this, they might nod their head and be like, oh yeah. But I think for a lot of us, you know, as young leaders, we would nod our head. Yes. But our lives would be saying no. You know what I mean? And so do not underestimate what God can do through you if you really live in communion with him. So I would just say communion with God is your superpower, man. That's the most important contribution you can make as a leader um, is that communion with God. Mm, that's great. Well, Mike, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. And for those listening, just as Josh shared, this is a bittersweet episode, sad day as he's, it's going to be his last one as a co-host, but we do have some exciting news. So if you have enjoyed having Mike on the podcast with us, good news. He's going to be joining us for a few episodes, probably for a month or two, and he's going to be guest co-hosting with us. So if you enjoyed it, make sure to tune in the next few episodes. Mike, you just got a, you just got a lot about. of unsubscribes. <laughs> Everybody's like bouncing. Not at all, man. We're, we're excited to have you join. I mean, just even today, hearing the wisdom that you bring. I think it's going to be great for even for me to, to learn alongside you and also for the wisdom that you're going to bring to our listeners. So, man, we're excited to to have you jump on board for a little while. I'm, I'm excited, man. Uh, thanks for letting me jump on. I'm, I'm down to help out. And uh, Josh, 
I'm gonna try not to let you down over these next couple episodes, bro. You won't, baby boy. You won't. You'll get it. <laughs> Passing the baton. You'll get it. I'll be so. Uh, I'm. I'm curious to hear from Chandler and you guys just how how you blow up on social media since I'm not on it after this. <laughs> we can just lie about our numbers and you'd have no yeah. clue. Yeah, I do for real. It went up three thousand monthly listeners since Josh got off. <laughs> exactly. You'd never know. So good. Well, Well, once again, Mike, thanks for joining us today and sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, head on over to Instagram. You can give Mike and I a follow, give Unseen Leadership a follow, but apparently you can't give Josh a follow anymore. (laughs) Hey, we'll see you next week. Bye.